This is the 5am Hustle Podcast. In the new era, I'm your host, Jack Considine. Let's go. Welcome back, Hustlers, to the 5am Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Namish. And I'm Jack. Today, our guest is Jay Samet. Jay is the author of Disrupt You and Future Proof You. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jay. Happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. So if you could just go ahead and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, what your story is, we'd really appreciate it. Sure. Much like everybody that's listening, I bought into society's thing, go to college, get good grades, and live happily ever after. Uh, but when I got out of school, there was a recession, there were no jobs, and I had to figure out how to uh, make it in this world. And I've sat in an empty room and started companies that you now use every day and are worth billions of dollars. I've also run large corporations with hundreds of thousands of employees and everything in between. So I dedicated whatever time I have left on this planet to teaching people how to be successful, not to make money at it, but to pay it forward and at the end of the day, an entrepreneur doesn't sell things, they solve things. So if you solve for a problem for a few people, you have friends, solve for a million, you become wealthy, solve for a billion, you change the world. So if I can help more people solve more of our problems, life's better. So that's what I'm about. And my most recent book, which we just talked about, Future Proofing You, I actually wanted to prove the concepts from Disrupt You, and I took a young millennial who grew up on welfare, and was homeless. And I mentored him one day a week for a year, and he went from homeless to self-made millionaire. I didn't give him any cash. I didn't introduce him to any business contacts. And he had to start a business that took zero dollars. And what I realized is our educational system is designed to make you be an employee to make someone else's dreams come true. And we don't teach people how to turn their own dreams into something that's practical and actionable. Awesome. I kind of want to go back to um, a story when you first started in business and uh, how you created these um, business cards. And instead of making yourself like the CEO of the company, you put yourself as a kind of a, a lower employee. Can you tell that story for our listeners real quick? Sure. So um, when I got out of college, there was this movie called Star Wars you may have heard of. And it just blew my mind away. I said, that's what I want to do. I want to do Hollywood special effects. Uh, I knew nobody in Hollywood. I knew nothing about special effects and I really knew nothing about computers, um, but that didn't stop me. So what I did is I decided that not everybody could afford ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, Lucas's company. There's gotta be people who want a cheaper company, but no one's going to trust their feature film on a 21 year old punk. So for $1 investment, I printed up business cards. I named the company Jasmine. Was my name is Jay Allen Salmon and it was mine but I didn't make myself CEO or president because no one's going to trust their film with the kid. I made myself head of sales and I went out and hustled and I got some independent pictures that needed work and stuff. And that's when I realized the biggest insight in my life. You only need two things, insight and perseverance. Everything else can be hired. So I went and hired the people that would rather have a job that knew how to do whatever it was. And that's how you start. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, that sounds cool. Um, and so I kind of wanted to ask you, based off of what you're talking about in the beginning of your own career, and then what you do with this millennial, 
um, let's say you're in that position and you're just starting somewhere and you have no contacts whatsoever, um, no real path or plan. Um, what is your thought process for beginning there? And what is like the next step? So a couple things, first of all, and in future proofing you, I talk about the 12th truth. So one of the truths is don't fly solo. There's this mythology of the self-made man or woman that you can do it on your own. Nothing's further than the truth. I used to be head of the world's largest music label, the home of, of Queen and, 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 and the Beatles and everybody in between. And when you see a rock star on the stage and they sing their heart out, you feel that connection like that person made it on their own. You don't see the songwriters, musicians, agents, managers, lawyers, everybody that made that happen. So you're going to need a series of mentors in your life. And I, I teach in the book how to use LinkedIn to find those people that have already made mistakes. You're going to make a ton of mistakes, but why not avoid the ones that others have already made and accelerate your success? So that's the first thing I would tell you. And so along those lines, I tell the story in Disrupt You about a, a young guy out of college who felt fantastic. He wanted to go into advertising, want to be creative guy making great ads. And he got a job with one of the big multinational giant ad agencies. He got the dream job, which ended up being, being in the basement and sitting in a cube, moving numbers around, ready to shoot himself. And he couldn't see a path from that to what he really aspired to do. And one day he was Googling around and he realized no one had bought the names of the five most famous creative directors, the guys who run the biggest agencies in the world. So for $9, you know, the price of a, a Frappuccino and, 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 a, and a donut, he bought their names as a keyword. And when they Googled themselves as famous people would do, it said, hey, I'd like to work for you. Click here, see my portfolio. Three of the five called him in and all three offered him jobs. And he basically quintupled his salary and advanced his career 15 years for a $9 investment. Anyone can do that. Yeah, and I think what's, uni what's unique that you talk about is not the idea of like get rich quick, but being creative and you talk about disrupting and, and doing all these crazy things. Um, but I feel like oftentimes, and this is probably, probably the solution, talk about um, answering a lot of problems and getting through that. Uh, when you're talking about mentors, a lot of people don't know like, what do I have to value to a mentor? Like there's all this, there's this big gap of where I'm at and where they're at. Do you, well, how high do you reach above where you're at currently? And how do you add value in order to make the relationship worthwhile? Jack, fantastic question, right? So when I was young, I had a, uh, an idea that I thought would really make a big difference. And uh, I reached out to Bill Gates. I had never met him. He was the richest man in the world. <laughs> and lo and behold, he responded. And so what came out of that was the belief that you have nothing to lose by reaching out to anybody. Now, when you're looking for an actual mentor, it's different because that's a daily relationship. So find somebody in the field that you want to get into that's one or two rungs above you. The reason is their knowledge is more applicable to where you are at this entry point. If you got to call the richest man in the world right now, he couldn't tell you how to get an entry job or where to start or what to do because he made that, that entry decades ago and the world has changed. And what is your value? Your value is people actually want to help. 
a lot of people have this idea that there's only so much money in the world and we're all fighting for it. Jack, if you get a raise and I don't, I hate you or you take my job or all these things that can happen, okay? When in fact, most of the wealth that's created and there's a new self-made billionaire with a B every 36 hours, let that sink in. Anish, I don't know what you did over the weekend, but you're a slacker, okay? Okay, it only takes 36 hours. But the point is, what happens is they make the money. They don't take the money from somebody else. So my last company, after 18 months, I was acquired for $200 million. So if I went to you and said, I'm starting a new company, I'll sell you 10% for $10,000. What do I now have? I have 10,000 in cash and 90,000 in stock that I can hire people, trade things. I actually created value. I created money. So mentors understand that that they are helping to create something as opposed to creating competition. And then beyond um, just like one single mentor, cause you say you have to use one, get another, get another. When do you make that decision to leave one and go to the next one? And how does that relationship uh, go in the future when you may move on to a um, mentor higher up in whatever field it may be? Well, I hope it doesn't become a, saying goodbye to the other person that was so nice and, and helpful, you end up with a relationship and a, a series of relationships. When you're starting off your career, okay, your value is what's in between your ears, right? So the more you can learn, take any job that you can learn at. When you stop learning at that job, when it just becomes repetitive, it's time to move on, okay? So the same thing with the, with the mentor. The mentor got you knowledge or whatever. They're still a friend. They're still a contact. You're, they'll be in your life forever, but maybe they don't have the skill set or the knowledge or the connections for where you want to go next. Yeah. And I think a lot of that boils down to the scarce mindset versus abundance mindset. You kind of touched upon that earlier where there is a, just a lot left to go around. Um, and, you know, Gary Vee says a lot, like, People always talk about, oh, I had the idea for Uber before it was a thing, or I had the idea for Airbnb before it was a thing, um, but they didn't act on it. Um, that's right. And that's because so many people are concerned that maybe someone else has had this idea, or maybe someone else is about to do that, um, or it's just too much work. I don't have the money, um, et cetera. And that's what stops a lot of people from doing that. So how do you push through um what not, some people not having money, not having connections, that that's the that's the millennial version of the dog ate my homework. Okay. Um, there's plenty of money in the world and it's easier now to get it than ever before. There's crowdfunding there, there. There's no gatekeepers blocking your success. What you pointed out is the number one blocker is, is the voice in your head. If you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. So most of your well-wishers, your parents, your teachers have tried to talk you out of trying something because more than likely you'll fail and they want to protect you from that pain of failing. Well, you cannot succeed without failing. Think of a video game. You hit that immovable wall. You're nailing it. You're nailing it. You finally get past it. And guess what? There's another one. And that's what your career is like. Because when you fail, you don't end up where you started. You either earn or you learn, but either way, you're propelling yourself forward. Okay. A mentor isn't going to remove the obstacles. They're going to help give you a path so that you can get through them easier, quicker, faster, and maybe 
have a contact to help you skip a couple stages. But that's what yeah, it's really about. I think something about that is, especially I hear we hear all the time on this podcast, Jack and I have had maybe upwards of 40 or 50 guests on here by now. Um, and we hear all the time that um, you need to fail in order to succeed. And we both definitely agree with that. But something that's hit me recently is that um, post-college, we're really in the real world, right? And so failure doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, I got this like C or D on a test. I'll just do better next time. Failure can mean bankruptcy. It can mean loss of insurance. It can mean people around you get hurt. And so that's like, that's some really serious stuff, yeah. right? And so, so how do you push past even that serious so, stuff? So let's talk about the seriousness, okay? A lot of people are afraid to start something or try something because what if I, I lose my job? What if I lose my money? What if I lose someone else's money? Okay. And you can come up with all these fears. And for all the BS artists out there that say fear isn't real, that's the farthest thing from truth. Those are real fears. They're legitimate. The oldest part of our brain, the lizard brain, the fight or flight is fear-based. You cannot overcome your fear. So anybody that tells you that you're like weak or something is wrong. You are fearful. But now let me talk about something. You're afraid of losing money. You're afraid of losing your job. You're, you're afraid of being embarrassed. And you're walking down a sidewalk and a big giant truck filled with dynamite, okay? And, and, and an angry bear is barreling down the sidewalk towards you. Are you thinking about looking embarrassed? Are you thinking about losing money? No, you're thinking about the existential threat to your life. If you don't get out of the way of that truck, you die which means you can prioritize your fear. So now let's talk about your life. If you're at a job that pays you enough to show up but not enough to care, that isn't helping you grow or live the way you want, you trade a day of your life, a week, a month, a year. You're gonna wake up one day and look like me and be an old dude. And what did you give up? You gave up the most precious thing ever. You gave up your life for what? So keep that, that loss of your life as the primary driver and everything else seems to go away. One of the things that's interesting is one out of three Fortune 500 companies was founded by an immigrant or the child of an immigrant. And there's a reason why, because when you see an immigrant at a menial job, that's not their identity. Their identity started before they came, before they they took that job. That's part of the stepping stones of something that they're going for. They have a passion in their life. So find that passion and everything else will fall into place. For me, I had sons very young. I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur or a businessman, but I wanted my kids to have a better life than I had. And so when things look down, when you're back up against the wall, I didn't want to disappoint them. And there was always another stone to turn. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think I think something that recently has also I, I personally also been thinking about is um, the trade off between like you said itself in your TED talk, right? Would you like to work forty hours a week in a job that you hate, um, or eighty hours a week in a job that you love, um, right? But <clears throat> what I think some people do prefer doing is working forty hours a week in a job that they don't necessarily like. Maybe they don't hate it, but it's not like they love it, right? But that 40 hour a week job gives them enough money to maybe travel on the side or they have they use that extra time with family. And, and so they see it as a means to continue 
um, living the lifestyle that they want to outside of work, even though they particularly don't enjoy themselves. And if that's their goal in their life, then so be it. But we live in a time where over the next decade, half of all jobs in the U.S. will disappear. Let that sink in for a second. So there's two of you that I'm talking to. One of you is going to lose your job. Um, So if you're going to want that to show up, somebody else has the worries and I get a check and then I get to travel and live my life. What happens when that's no longer an option? What happens when your whole industry disappears or moves to another nation state? Okay. I was head of the world's one world's largest music company. It was around for a hundred years. It's gone now. Okay. Truck drivers, the number one most common job on tax returns. Automation is going to make those go away. I was vice chairman of Deloitte. I will tell you, most accounting jobs will be replaced by AI software this decade. Most lawyers will be replaced by AI software this decade. So it's not just blue-collar jobs that are being automated away. So either you take control of your destiny or you let life happen to you. It's your choice. Yeah, I was actually, I was um, listening to this guy talk about uh, his name is Sean Whalen. He was talking about like, what is true freedom? And it was a guy complaining on Instagram, like, oh my gosh, like this, the X, Y, Z is happening. Like, how can I control my life? And he said, do what I did. He said, I made enough money and bought enough land to where if anything goes wrong, I can sustain myself in this given area. And I don't have to do anything for another corporation or another business or listen to what anyone tells me. I have enough money, I have enough whatever to do what I want to do with my life. And to get there, he did have a lot of sacrifice, but I think it goes back to what you were saying previously, which is it's determining what is the sacrifice. It's determining like the marginal benefit versus the cost. Are you going to give up um, a day of your life and a job you hate for the weekend? Or are you going to give up the, your whole week and weekend for a couple of years and then to have that time in the future? And so I think that is a lot of what you're talking about. Agree. I mean, the young man that I mentored in Future Proofing, you, Ben Clancy, worked harder than most people are willing to for one year so he can live in a manner that most people can't their entire life. For that year, there was no dating. There was no social media. There was no watching TV. There was no going out with friends and going to the bar and the club. He worked seven days a week and seven nights a week. My biggest fear was he was going to burn out. But that goal... Once he, he had that, that, that first month where he made more money than anybody in his family had made in a year, he was unstoppable. And what got him through at the end, not to wreck all the ups and downs of the year, was he knew he was going to take the next year off, not because you can live your whole life off of a million dollars, but because he knew he was truly future-proof. He could move anywhere and start at any time and do it again and again. And what's now interesting is he now has Fortune 500 clients and, you know, he has that balance that he wants. I mean, it took me a long time to figure out how the world works. You know, I teach this at the university level. I had students do $100 million their first year. I mean, it's insane how connected we are. We're one click away from 5 billion people. You only have to be right for a nanosecond to make the kind of money that used to take a lifetime. But what is your purpose? What do you want to then achieve with your life? And so, you know, I end the book talking about, you know, sustainable capitalism, the, the issues facing our planet that we need to solve, which are also great business opportunities. But the purpose of life is to live a life of purpose. And you'll get so much more out of your life by helping others 
and money is a tool to make that possible. So um, as much as I wanted this to be just a very general statement, it is very relatable to my, my own life. And I've been, um, as I've been transitioning to college, I've asked a lot of my new friends, like, what do you want to do with your future? What do you want to do X, Y, Z? And a lot of the people I've met through uh, my scholars program want to be entrepreneurs. And so they talk about uh, their kind of aspirations for the future. But then I kind of reflect on myself and I think, okay, I really want to do X, Y, Z. I want to grow this podcast. I want to create a business in the future. And I'm being pulled away by whether it be a college party, college night out, um, trying to make new friends. What were you to say to me of like the kind of sacrifice or someone in college that maybe wants to start their own business? Um, what is necessary to give up in this environment in order to um, do um, what the young man did in future proofing? And wait, sorry, before you answer that as well, um, it, it, even outside of college, I think there becomes this trade-off between the, I don't know, the the necessity to create memories and have these experiences um, and working towards something long-term. So where do you think that trade-off plays in as well? It kind of goes into Jack's question. So one of the chapters in Future Proofing You is about remote working. It's one of the new changes that has finally happened because of the pandemic. And how that answers your question is this. You no longer, as an employer, as a corporation, have to hire the best people to live within five or 10 miles of your, of your headquarters. You can hire the best people on the planet. This seems obvious now post-pandemic, but long way to get here. But that also means that you can do whatever you want, whatever that business is, whatever the thing is. You could be doing your podcast from where you are today. And next week, you could do the same podcast from Thailand, from South America, from wherever assuming post-COVID world. So you're seeing, you know, uh, the most sought after jobs are Facebook, Google, Apple. And yet those engineers that are recruited from the best schools, the retention rate of those companies is less than three years for the greatest jobs. But now they're seeing because they're giving people that flexibility to work where they want and when they want during the day. I, I have a friend whose son works for Google. He was living in, a, in, a, in Silicon Valley, sharing an apartment, though he makes a great living with another engineer because of, of you know, the cost, living a miserable existence. Now he's living two blocks from the beach in Hawaii with his own place for the same salary and loving life. So that's the new change. You can have that balance. But the idea that making memories or making friends or, or doing those things is a separate experience than what your vocation is, I think that's flawed thinking. I mean, I've gotten to work with the Pope and presidents and all these interesting people that are in my life because of the work I do and because of, of, of the things that I built and, and whatever. And, you know, the only big change that money really gives you once you get above a certain amount of having your needs met and feeding and clothing and that type of stuff is you don't have to deal with people that you don't want to deal with. And you don't have to do what you don't want to do. And that, to me, gives the freedom to do where you think you can make the most impact and have the greatest value. And I think that is very ideal for all of our listeners especially in the younger um time frame at least for me um it's like the ideal is working hard enjoying what you do 
um, but also being able to travel, being able to enjoy yourself. And so I'm excited to see what the next 10 years will show for remote work um, and even being able to remotely start your business. I know Jack can speak more on this, but we had a guest on um, Tanner um, who he like runs his own business, but he takes like a couple months off a year or like even if he doesn't need to, he's able to travel and run his business at the same time. Um, and that sounds like, that sounds like, that sounds great because you're enjoying what you do and you're also taking a break every once in a while and um, enjoying yourself outside of that. If you really love what you do, I don't understand this idea of taking a break. So, you know, I, that, that I don't understand. Um, you know, find something that you, you know, really love. Now, there's going to be part of any job, any business or whatever that you don't. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. you can hire people to do that. You know, you can delegate. You know, you have to figure out what are your superpowers? What are the things that you do best? And over the years, I've, I've filled in and to show that I was a team player with my people, I've assisted in almost every function that you can come up with. And I'm horrible at 90% of those things. Turns out I'm really good at being a boss. Um, not good at being a worker, uh, but, you know, it took me time to figure that out. But it is such a great time to start something. And I have a, a process that if you've talked, seen my talks or read my books, uh, you know, write down three problems a day for a month. At the end of the month, you have 90 business ideas. You sort those about on the axis of what are you passionate about and what's the biggest total addressable market? You know, if you're passionate about, and this was a true story, uh, uh, a very famous person's wife wanted to start a business because there was no good vegan food at polo matches. Yeah, I mean, that's really uh, not the world's biggest problem and who cares, okay? But if the problem you come up with is, you know, you know something that solves for everybody, um, my, 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 my favorite person right now thinking that way is a 17-year-old high school girl who just won a science fair. I was the prototypical student at my science fair in school. I did make the baking soda and vinegar volcano, okay? Zero effort. It was fun to make a volcano. She realized that the number four cause of death in the U.S. was going into a hospital. Not the disease, not the surgery, just being in a hospital because of infection. Make a long story short, she figured out what if you could make suture stitches that change color if, they're, if it's an infected wound? That would save lives. She played with different vegetables, different pH balance. There no, no scientists in her families, no doctors, just a regular high school kid. She had the foresight when she solved this to go and get it patented. And she's now going to go to college already with enough money for her entire life to really focus on what problems to solve. This is the world we live in. If you have no problems in your life, I can't help you. But if you have problems, odds are others have those. And the tools and the ability, you don't have to, a lot of people think an entrepreneur has to invent something from whole cloth, you know, like the flux capacitor in Back to the Future or the, the BS that Gutenberg invented, the printing press. No, you just have to take something that already exists and pivot it. In the case of, of Gutenberg, 1500 years before him, the Greeks loved olive oil, but got tired of, of squeezing olives to get the oil out. So they made a little olive press. And it took a long time for somebody, 1500 years, to say, you know what, we'll make a bigger one. We don't have to stomp on grapes anymore. We'll put the grapes in. And so all of a sudden in the, in the 1500s, 
there's more Riesling wines made in Germany than they even make today. And there weren't that many people. So every vintner went out of business. Now there's all these presses sitting around with nothing to do that you can get for nothing. And a little guy sitting there with his little pieces of type and he connects the dots and goes, aha. There are tons of things. NASA has a whole website of things that they've invented and patented that you can use their patents for free. All you have to do is take an idea. I mean, people used to have wallpaper and, and their homes were heated by fireplaces and, and, and coal furnaces and their wallpaper would get all kinds of soot on it. So a guy made a compound that you push against it and takes the soot off, okay? People stop having soot in their homes and stop smoking in their homes. Not much use for this compound. So he changed the name of it to Play-Doh, added a little vanilla extract to make it smell good and taste good. And it's been a staple for toys. I mean, Slinky was a failed thing military developed for, for, for uh, supporting gauges on a ship. You just have to solve a problem. And odds are you may be focused on a problem that nobody focused on solving. So I love um, how much you talk about um, disruption and obviously you made a book all about it. Where do you think disruption um, is heading say in the next five, 10 years? Um, the majority of companies that exist today will not be making money from what they made their money on in the past. So a great example is everybody forgets Apple Computer is a failed computer company. They never got past 6% market share. So Steve sat down one day and he said, well, let me try consumer electronics. I'll, I'll go after the Walkman with the iPod. That did great. I said, let me go after Nokia, which had 47% share of mobile phones. Kick butt again. They're developing self-driving cars. They're developing uh, tennis shoes. They're developing all kinds of new products. So you're going to see constant change. We live in an era of endless innovation. The speed of change is accelerating because it is so quick to get from concept to mass market or to find your specific market thanks to you know, ad targeting. So that either means embrace the change, be a part of the change, come up with something and you may only be right for a year, but that year may give you the kind of wealth that your great grandkids don't have to work for a living. I mean, that's the world we live in. Awesome, I kind of want to hop back on something you were talking about earlier um, and your idea of kind of friendships. I don't really call it a friend, I'll use the word tribe for now. And for example, I'm, I'm making friends in college and being introduced to a lot of people, but I also have all these contacts from my podcast and other things like that. How do you find friends that you identify with more? Like, where do you look for them? And how do you build? Um, Cause they always say you are the five people you surround yourself with the most. How do you find these people, especially at a young age that you truly identify with and, and can kind of build whatever you're doing together and not have it be, like you said, you're not alone. I don't think I ever sought out to find anybody, right? It just happens the more you're out there doing things. Um, when I was not much older than you, uh, I had just sold my first software company and the, and the internet was coming along. And I realized that this thing could change education. You, know, you had poor schools that had old maps and old books and you had rich schools where kids got good education. But if everybody could have equal access to knowledge, wouldn't that be amazing? So I started writing about that we need to get the internet into the schools. And one day I get a phone call from a guy doing the worst Arkansas 
accent impersonation that I'd ever heard claiming to be the president of the United States, Bill Clinton. And I embarrassed myself making the president of the United States prove to me that it was the president of the United States who was calling little old me. Um, I have a long history of acting really stupid in front of famous people. Um, but what came out of that is I ended up being asked by the president, could I get the internet and wire every school in the country and do it without a penny of taxpayer money? And we did it. Volunteer effort, 18 months, was an amazing time in my life. But what came out of it is that big idea was like a, a light to moths, okay? All these people came out of the woodwork, okay? All these people, when I created the first social network, all these people came out of the woodwork. Um, I had the first social network for college kids 10 years before Facebook. I knew college kids wanted to have sports as part of it. A sports enthusiast uh, reached out. I didn't know him. They marked Cuban and said, can I do that for it? Okay. Um, Eric Schmidt, years before joining Google, he was part of the volunteering to get the internet into school. All these amazing people were attracted by the idea. And so as you start associating your time with ideas, you will meet like-minded people that want to change the world if that's what you're about. I mean, I love my Facebook feed. I don't get, I mean, I get funny memes. We all like those, but I don't get what's happening with the Kardashians or, or people talking politics. I have a bunch of people that want to show off that they found the more interesting article in some obscure journal about some new thing going on to show the rest of the community that, you know, they found it first. I mean, the best way to predict the future is to hang out with the people that are creating it. And, and for me, it's just, it's a joy that I've gotten to find people all over the world. I mean, my, my book, I've gotten uh, thank you letters from entrepreneurs in over 140 countries. I don't know how that's possible. It amazes me, but you put knowledge out there, it will find a like mind. We see it with the lunatics, come up with a conspiracy theory and you instantly can find a whole bunch of morons that'll believe it. But it works on the positive. Um, friends of mine, when, when Elon Musk came up with the idea of Hyperloop and said he wasn't gonna build it, but it would be a good idea. They started Hyperloop Technologies, uh, Dirk and Bebop. They had no background. One guy was an Uber driver and the other guy was a, a, an entrepreneur who had, had, had an exit. Fast forward, they attracted engineers, all kinds of people that wanted to see this thing happen. And now they have a successful company. I'm very interested. Um, you talked about previously, obviously you worked um, with getting internet in the school system. And you talked about how the school system a lot of times is putting a negative mentality into people because they give up on their own dreams. And they're trying to protect you from that pain. So if you're going to um, adapt the school system into something new or adjust it in some way, um, how would you do that specifically? Or how can these people that are in higher education um, do this education on their own? So I've worked with governments on this and, and there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, the, the simplest thing you can do today is stop asking kids, what do you wanna be when you grow up? That implies that you're one thing, right? I, I, I talk about one of my dearest friends in, in, in the world and Future Proofing You was lucky enough to have her front teeth knocked out by a swing on the playground when she was in elementary school. I say lucky enough because she was obviously traumatized by that, but a dental surgeon gave her back her smile, literally and figuratively. And, and the clouds opened and she knew she wanted to be a dental surgeon, okay? 
I never had that epiphany. I never had some, you know, thing that made me say, that's the thing. But what I always ask children and I ask, uh, always ask my kids, what problem do you want to solve when you grow up? Because at every age, you will see injustice. At every age, you will see things that you think are unfinished in this world. And that's the mentality to go into. Not that you only get to be one thing and do one thing your whole life, but that life is about making the place better. And so education has to start with not trying to get people to conform, but to allow people to express, not to have people compete against each other, but learn how to do group projects and group learning and, and pull each other together. Um, you know, one of the, the, the downsides of not having a draft when we got rid of the draft in this country was it pulled people out of their different communities or different mindsets or local small towns, or whatever. And they got to meet people of different religions and colors and, 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 and just backgrounds. So they could see that the world was more than their little plot of land. Well, too many people on the internet are just in this reverb bubble of like-minded people of a small little caliber. So the greatest part about the travel that we talked about earlier is seeing that your way may not be the right way, that there are many ways, there are many places, there are many different things. And you may stumble across something that people do there that they don't do here. There's a, a guy who uh, is now quite famous, who was in Italy on vacation, this is a while back, a few decades ago. And he saw that everybody drank these little, you know, cappuccinos and espressos and stuff. And nobody was doing that in the U.S. People were getting coffee for 10, 15 cents a cup. And he spent a year trying to raise money saying he wanted to bring these machines over. Nobody would let him. So he opened his own little place called Starbucks. Howard Schultz has become a billionaire because he traveled and saw something different that he said people would like here. He didn't invent the espresso. He didn't invent the cappuccino. He didn't invent the cappuccino machine. He just brought it from one market to a bigger market and, and did the right things. And I even think um, traveling within the U.S. itself gives you a lot of perspective. Right? Someone living on the East Coast going to the South um, is going to learn a lot from that culture. Um, I, and, I took my children to all 50 states. I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and even seeing the size, you know, do it by car, seeing the size of the country mm -hmm. and the breadth of, 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 of the nature really humbles you to, you know, how small you are and how big of an impact you can have. But couldn't agree more. Um, the one invention I'm still waiting for, we're getting really close. I have a self-driving car. It drives me all over the place, love that, is, is I want the self-driving motorhome. Because my dad took us cross-country 13 times, okay? I took my kids. I want to take my granddaughters. Mm -hmm. But I am not sitting behind a wheel for 12 hours. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for high-speed rail. I'm waiting for uh, high-speed rail in our country. I was looking um, for my family's planning a trip to Spain and I was looking, it's so easy to get across the country. Oh, Europe's easy, China's yeah. easy. But, but imagine, you know, you're playing games, you're watching movies, you're in the back of this motorhome eating and, and, and it's just doing the driving and you show young kids North by Northwest. Uh, it's, it's a Hitchcock movie that you may or may not seen, but the, the climax is at Mount Rushmore. 
So it's real exciting. And then your car stops, you get out and you're out in Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. Yeah. When my, when my youngest saw Mount Rushmore, he changed his life. He, he just couldn't imagine somebody could make a sculpture so big, so grand. And that, that's what, that's what happens. I mean, you know, I feel blessed that I've got to be inside the pyramids or, or walk through Angkor water, you know, to see all the various things that man has created. And you see that we are adaptable. Our imagination is limitless and our problems are massive. So just take one problem off the table for everybody else. That's where wealth comes from. Yeah, and I think it also goes to show you um, how little a lot of things matter um, and how small you really are in the grand scheme of everything else, especially um, even if you just go to the city and you stare at a skyline and you realize every single window is its own person or its own family. Yeah, um, I never understood people that were hung up with what other people think, right? What are people going to say about me? What are people going to think about me? What, who cares? I'll tell you this, okay? They will make fun of you. They'll, 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 they'll do all kinds of stuff. And when you become rich and famous, they'll all talk about how you, they were your best friend. I had a friend of mine who came to me when I, when I sold my first company for a bunch of money. He said, Jay, it really bothered me that you never let me invest. And I didn't, have, didn't want to have a fight with him because he's a friend. But he doesn't remember when I went to him first and he laughed at it and turned it down. Right? So don't be hung up on what other people think, what other people say, and just make your own path. Nobody got to lead by following someone else. I mean, I, I worked with a guy who's one of the most uh, creative thinkers who figured out how to get a free trip uh, to the Bahamas with his uh, girlfriend, who's now his wife. And his flight back got canceled. And it's like, he doesn't have the money to fly back and he's stuck there. And so we've all had canceled flights and most of us just sit there. He figured out what it cost to charter a plane, divided it by the number of seats so that he and his girlfriend could fly for free wrote a sign on a piece of paper that he found in a trash can. And that's how a music guy, Richard Branson, starts an airline. It's literally that easy. He was solving one basic problem. He just needed to get home. People think it's more complex. It really isn't. Um, I'm very curious, Jay. Um, I don't know if you did his exercise today, um, but did you write three problems today? Oh, so no. So I'm not trying to solve. I'm not, I don't want to run another company. Been there, done that. Okay. Um, money doesn't motivate me, but I will tell you that an engineer who worked for me 20 years ago called me up about two years ago and said, I got a huge problem that I can solve and I need your help. And I don't want to be another chairman, but when he told me what it was, I, I, I felt morally obligated. So I'm chairman of a company called Greenfield Robotics. Someone 100 years ago thought the greatest way to grow food was to douse it in poison that kills insects and birds and small mammals, but it would never do anything to humans. And we now realize all the cancer and everything. So the reason why we put poisons is to get rid of the weeds. So what if you made little robots the size of like an ice chest that go up and down row crops? Think of corn and milo and soy, and it just cuts off the weeds, it can identify the plants from the weeds. So Greenfield Robotics built these, but here's the impact it has on mankind and how he got me hooked into saying yes. 
The farmer now grows organic. So the farmer makes 40% more. Not a single farmer in the US made a profit last year. If everybody stopped being a farmer, we all die. Number two, farmers put those poisons on and they, the excess runs down the Mississippi and killed all the fish in the Gulf of Mexico. So life is dying in the seas, stops that. Number three, we don't get cancer from eating carcinogens. Look at the Roundup lawsuit. And what they'll do is they'll come out with a new one that hasn't, doesn't have lawsuits. It'll take 20 years to get that one off. And, and it's an endless cycle of poison. But the biggest one is farmers till the soil to chop up weeds. And tilling the soil releases carbon. It is the single largest source of carbon warming our planet, more than factories or cars. So if we can go to regenerative, no more tilling, no more poison, how can I morally, if I know that I have the contacts and the ability to make this company a success, how can I not morally say, okay, I got to work again? Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. That's the biggest thing that's connecting all the problems into one. That's, that's awesome. Now, there's still more problems, but of yeah, course. It, it, it hits some big ones. But yeah, so I'm, I'm super excited about Greenfield Robotics. And these robots are doing it. A swarm of mm -hmm. them. Think of goats clearing a, a field for, for fire hazard. They just, 10 of them do 10 acres in a day. Truck pulls up, they lift themselves out, they go loose, they come back in and they go do the next farm the next day. It is, it is a Sounds beautiful very thing. cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was curious. When you, so when you're going through your, and this is obviously before um, when you were looking to start companies, when you're going through your list of problems, um, obviously some problems are incredibly important, at least to you personally, um, and on a larger scale. Um, and so how do you pick and choose? Which, so which so one? there's two axes. So when I teach this at universities, how to, how, at the largest engineering school in the country, one of my ways I gave back was I taught for years how to build a high-tech startup. And to give you the math on teaching at the university level, they paid me $8 a class and it cost me $15 to park. Um, nice. <laughs> uh, uh, and I had standing room only and got in trouble with the university because people from the community, people that weren't enrolled at USC would show up and sit in the aisles to get this knowledge. I'm like, my job isn't to limit knowledge. That's your job to limit knowledge and make money off of it. Mine is to spread it. So if you're going to kick people out, you're going to kick me out too. But Every semester, the majority of students would say, how to deliver food to the dorms? What a great problem. And that's a route. It's a problem to them. And then I would sit and explain, take the same efforts to figure out how to build an Uber Eats. One, the dorm has a thousand people. One, it's unlimited. So what are you going? So you want the scale of it. But you also want to have that it's a problem that means something, you know? Anybody can start a shoe company and sell shoes, la-di-da, who cares? Maybe they're nice shoes, maybe they're ugly shoes. That's subjective. But when Tom's decided that for every pair you get, someone that's never owned a pair of shoes gets a pair, think how much greater that makes the customer feel about Tom's shoes. Think of how easier it is to recruit employees that want to make a difference with their job. So, so it's the impact. You know, I, I talk about in Future Proofing You, you go by a construction site and there's three brick layers, you know, building the wall. And he asked the first guy, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, 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 I'm building a wall. And he asked the second guy and he says, you know, I'm a bricklayer, you know, I'm, 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 I'm making a foundation. And he asked the third guy he says, I'm creating a church. I'm making a place for God. 
The first guy has a job. The second guy has a career, but the third guy has a calling. Find your calling, whatever it is. My friend Martha with, you know, has been a dental surgeon now for you know, 30 plus years and still loves it because of that way that she felt when that dental surgeon changed her life. So I can't say that the businesses that I've had and the things that I've done were all cause-driven. It took me time to, to figure that out. But once I could make that type of impact, once I could see that it was possible to get thousands of people to volunteer to pull Cat5 wire and wire every classroom in the United States, I felt unstoppable. I felt like you can't accomplish anything. Uh, the, the funny part is that actually my school just commissioned Grubhub robots to deliver food to people's dorms. And well, it, it goes to scale because they're going to be doing that other universities and whatnot. But I found that funny because they just started that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so unless, I don't know, Jack, if you have any other questions, unless you can go and wrap up. So yeah, we always ask two questions to every guest that comes on. Um, and the first one is, what are a couple books that you've read that have had a really big impact on you? Um, feel free to plug your own books as well, but if you had any other recommendations too. I'll do the obligatory plug. Disrupt you and future-proofing you. I didn't write them to make money. They're in a dozen languages. Um, I did it to pay it forward. And, uh, and, you know, when I was a CEO of a NASDAQ company, your inbox is filled with hate letters every day. You know, we hate the company. We hate you. We hate this. When you change people's lives, I get what I call love letters. I get emails every day from somebody that the book has changed their life. And that's what gets me to donate and dedicate what time I have left on the planet doing it. Um, two books have really uh, come to mind right now is uh, one that I read very young. It was called The Peter Principle, uh, which explains that everybody in business rises to their level of incompetence. And that kind of knocked the block off of where I thought everybody I was dealing with was such an expert and, and, and confident, and you realize that they're not. And the other is a book that's coming out uh, that I just read. It's not out yet, called Billion or Billions. I don't know if it has the S. Um, about a guy who in high school invented a product that made a billion dollars and, and organized crime went after him and all kinds of twists and turns. Um, I don't want to give too much away, uh, but each chapter really teaches a strong business lesson. So it reads like a great movie. Um, his life is, is, is larger than life, but uh, uh, his name's uh, Shaheen and uh, comes out uh, before Christmas this year. So those are the two books that come to mind. Awesome. And then Jay, the last question that we have for you that we ask every single guest is that if you could go back and give one piece of advice to your teenage self, what would it be? Women love guitar players. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, nobody told me uh, what, a, what a great aphrodisiac uh, a guitar was. Um, when, when, you, when you, you know, run rock and roll labels uh, and you see the appeal that that has. But in, in, in a more serious note, um, you'll get past your lows. You can always make it better. You know, there, there's nothing that you've done that is permanent. There, there's nothing that you can't change. It's, you know, everybody always asks me, you know, when's the best time to start a business? And I always tell them a year ago was the best time, but now's the second best time. So 
I would, I would, I, I, I would tell my younger self, you know, there will be low points, but there will be unbelievable highs. And it's those low points that make you appreciate the highs and keep you grounded. You know, I've worked with too many uh, rock stars that, you know, have unlimited fame, unlimited money, unlimited anything you can imagine at 18, 19, 20, your brain can't handle it. And if it goes away, they are miserable human beings. The nicest people in the world are those people that had that second shot and they so appreciate it and they are so humble and they're so giving. And they're my first call whenever I throw a tsunami aid or concert for Katrina or any of these fundraisers because they know that, you know, it's not just how hard you work. It's not how smart you are. There's a certain amount of just getting to bat each time and you'll get lucky. The harder you try, the luckier you get. So yeah, anybody that's feeling down, um, Tom Bill Yu, who does a podcast, wrote the forward to future proofing you. And he wrote something in the forward that really touched me. And I'm going to paraphrase and steal it. But for anybody hearing my voice right now, I believe in you. I believe you can do it. I don't have to meet you to know that I believe in you. Humans are amazing. You're human. You literally can do anything. All the world's knowledge is, is on the internet and you'll figure it out. It's not easy. Vin didn't wake up on one day and just sit back. He worked his butt off, but first month he made more than $60,000. That's more than most people make in a year. Once he saw that he could do that, all the limiting factors, all that he can't, he's not good enough, he's not smart enough, he doesn't know people, what if, what if, what if, all that vanishes. And yeah, some of my best ideas never became the successes that I thought. And some really stupid ones made a lot of money. Um, but one foot after the other, just go forward. And, uh, you know, I didn't believe that when I was a teenager. I didn't believe it when I got out of college. That, that externalized fear of wanting to disappoint my sons, that's what made me overcome adversity. Um, and I'm glad I had that tough time because I'm not the kind of person that I've met that's made a bunch of money that has no purpose, no heart, no soul. Well, Jay, we so much appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Um, we've loved all the knowledge you've been able to, um, give us and all of our listeners, um, for anyone listening, Please, please, please go get his books uh, from the knowledge he's given today. And I'm sure that is in all of those books. You'll get so much farther in life. And especially if you're young, get future-proofing you. Um, that's it for today's episode of the 5 Impulse Hustle podcast. As always, guys, peace. Thank you so, so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. To follow us on Instagram, look up the number 5AM Hustle Podcast. And for Twitter, it is just 5AM Hustle. As always, guys, go win the day.